Yeah, so we, we're talking, I've got a little slideshow because Christine said, please have visual aids. And I, we're, we're all visual communicators as people. That's how we see. And as a filmmaker, I'm even more visually so. So when Shukran said earlier that he's got an attention span of 15 minutes, you actually don't, bro. Statistics say you've got an attention span of 12 minutes, which since the invention of the iPhone has been reduced to eight minutes. Okay, so I've got eight minutes before I change my next slide. Okay. So guys, we, we're talking about, if you want to give a title for this message, it's what does cake tell us about God? What does cake tell us about God? Cake and a dude named Abraham. And this is honestly, I'm honestly like, you know, we always say like you're preaching to yourself. I'm actually preaching to myself because this concept of what I'm going to be speaking about today is I've been, a, I've been a Christian, I've been following Jesus since I was about seven, and so I'm 34 now. So that was like basically 20-odd years, and I'm still only grasping this. Like every now and then this concept hits me, and I feel freedom, and I feel like peace and identity come back into my life. But in the moments when I walk away from what I'm talking about today, I get grumpy, I get irritated, I, I, I get insecure, um, yesterday, had a, me and Cindy had a lovely, beautiful fight just before we got to the Ignite prayer thing in the car. We argued for like 45 minutes. I basically made her grumpy. She was fine. And I was like, you did this and this and this. And, and um, so essentially, this is a thing I and honestly am speaking to myself and hopefully for all of us. And we're going to be going down some narrow roads of Old Testament kind of Middle Eastern practices, okay, like the ancient world. Um, we're going to do a little detour through 2016, and then we're going to go back to 2000 BC. But I don't want us to, like, at the end of this preach, kind of be like, wow, cool, I know things now about, like, old people and, like, ancient worlds. The goal is for all of us to have, at the end of this message, to have a closer union with God. That's really what I, I want, and I, I hope we all see so we've all got lies in our minds, and, and I'm hoping that the lies will get pushed out and they'll get replaced by truth. So, there we go. Beth, Beth's in it. All right, so cake. Let's hit that next slide, my man. I've got slides, by the way, so Zeke over there, I'm going to be saying hit it. Okay, so I want to speak a little bit about my wedding. Who's ever been to a wedding here before? Hands up if you've been to a wedding. Maybe a better way of saying, hands up who hasn't been to a wedding? Who's never been to a wedding? Okay. Okay, so we have, we have three and a half people in the room who've never been to a wedding. So I got married in 2016. I had a cool wedding. It was a three-day event. In fact, there's a bunch of us here. Um, hit the next slide there. It was, a, a, it was a crazy, like, big occasion. We had theater. Um, that was me in my boxes over there. And... Um, the next slide there, bro. We, we did a lot of cool things. We played games. You can probably find Daryl in the, in the top left-hand corner of that photograph. There is Daryl over there. Um, we did all kinds of wacky and wonderful things. And essentially, it all built up to Sunday evening. Sunday was the day when we had the wedding ceremony. And I'll never forget Christine walking down this little gravel road in her leather boots. She was like, I will wear leather boots to my wedding. Um, she really wanted those boots with, and she was flanked by her dad, and, and she was flanked by a couple of friends. She, she walked down this aisle of people on her left and on her right, and I had a veil over her head, and her dad was walking next to her. He was keeping it together a lot better than I was. I was crying, and it was ugly. My cry was ugly. Let's hit the next, the next slide. I, I didn't choose an ugly one, but 
That's me over there waiting for Christine. And if you look, guess who's directly behind me? It's Joe. Joe, stand up, bro. Look, Joe was, by, Joe was there as well. So we held each other's right hands. We exchanged rings and we said vows to one another. And afterwards, there was a big festival, a big party. It was this massive banquet. Um, and even Rasi was there. Rasi and her mom. Then we cut this big cake, which was really cool. And lastly, it ended with me and Christine going and beginning our honeymoon, consummating the marriage, which is another word for making love. Um, and thus, thus ended our, our wedding. It was a really, really cool moment. But I want us to imagine if the wedding had gone differently. You can pause for a moment. Imagine if the wedding went like this. On that Sunday, instead of us walking into the building, we just stayed on the grass that you guys saw. And me and my groomsmen, Joe and everybody, we, we went and got a cow, a real big cow called a heifer, which means it hasn't had a baby yet. That's a female cow without a baby. We got this big heifer. Christine and her bridesmaids, they went and they got a goat. And they got a ram, which is a male sheep. So they got the ram and they got a goat. And then Daryl and Beth, they got a pigeon. And Anton brought a dove. And we brought all of these animals, like living animals. And then I took out a hacksaw. And I said, cool. And I started cutting. This is going to get a little bit gruesome for the vegans. It's in the Bible. I started cutting the throat of the cow. So I slit its throat and it died, bled out. Gave the hacksaw to Anton. He started cutting the sheep. Christine cut the ram. Daryl and Beth wrung the necks of the two pigeons. They didn't cut them. They just... And then that took us about half an hour. But we weren't finished yet. Then I took the hacksaw and I got Joe to help me. And he held the one end and I held this end. And we started severing the cow in half. So we're cutting through the cow now. I mean, getting through the... The vertebra is difficult. It's like cutting through a, a pipe, like a, a plastic pipe. Finally, we cut the animal in half, and it's open. And all the stuff gushes out. A river of blood gushes out of this thing. But before this, we've actually dug a little channel. So all the blood flows into this channel. We take the one half of the cow, and me and Joe, we struggle, and we put the other half down. And we do the same thing. Daryl and Beth chop the ram in half. We have... Now got animals on the one side, and they're chopped in half, their bodies on the other side, a river of blood between the two. Um, Christine stands at the one end, and I stand at the other end. And then, in Christine's leather boots, we proceed to walk through that river of blood. We're getting our feet ankle deep in blood, really gruesome, and we come to the middle, we stand with each other, and then we take our right hands, and we make a cut on them, and we... We hold each other's right hands and smear the blood together, all right? Then I take a piece of Christine's name for the rest of my life, and she takes a piece of my name. Then I give her my belt and some of my clothing, and essentially we then become one. Her people are my people. My people are her people. Her enemies are mine. Our families are united, and after that, we can all go home. That's another way of doing a wedding. What am I talking about? This sounds like a weird, barbaric thing, but it's actually something called a covenant. A covenant. Hit the next slide. In our day and age, we don't think of covenant like that. We think of it more like this kind of a vibe. 
That's a movie called The Covenant. Kuzi in the back said, like, yes, I know these movies. So you might... So in our, in our current society, no one knows the word covenant except for horror movies. I mean, there's a dude there walking in a forest. And there's a tagline. They hide in plain sight. Covenant. I mean, it's super scary, super horror vibes. Or, I mean, if you don't go down the horror, maybe, essentially aliens in our day and age also make covenants, apparently. <laughs> Alien covenant. The world doesn't know what a covenant is anymore. They just throw that word onto movie titles because it sounds ominous. It's like, a, wow, cool, omen. There were a few other horror movie posters that I literally couldn't put them on the slide because they're really scary. So, but that's not what I'm talking about, guys. What, what we're speaking about is an ancient practice. And this is where I'm going to go and involve a dude named Abraham. But what is a covenant? So how do we make a promise these days, and how do we guarantee that we've done a promise? So, Shukran, if me and you promise something today, okay, let's say I'm going to buy your house, what's the guarantee that I'm going to fulfill my end of the bargain? What do we do in, in our day and age? We funa sign a document. In other words, we sign. Okay, so all we do these days is take a paper and a pen and we sign something. That's pretty much it. Or maybe we shake hands, but at best we sign. Maybe we get a lawyer involved, okay? Back in the day... They didn't do that. They had something way more visual, way more powerful, way more dramatic, which was what I just described now, the covenant ceremony. And what they're doing there is they're saying, I'm making a promise to you. The two parties are making a promise. And this is where things get a little bit nuts. So let's hear that, that next slide. There's, an, there's what kind of semi would have looked like. Um, you can see the blood in the middle and then the little calves on each side. And one more for me, brother. What's the next slide? Okay, walking through the blood. And then one more slide. I think there's a scripture. There we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that in a second. But this is the part of the covenant of why they have these animals and this blood. In our day and age, if we break the sign, if I sign and I go against my word, what happens? Maybe I get sued. Maybe I owe somebody some money. What happened in the ancient world is that you would walk through this blood and these carcasses. And you would say, if I don't keep up my word... May my fate be the same as these carcasses. Let me be chopped in half. Let me be cut into pieces. That's what a covenant meant. That's how powerful it was. And both parties say that. If I don't hold up my end of the bargain, let me be like these animals and chopped in half. What a crazy, visual, powerful, striking image, right? You're not going to just make that lightly. You're not going to be like, yeah, I'll go into a covenant today with the whole people standing there watching you walking through blood after chopping up these animals. And just so you know, I'm not lying. Here is the Bible with this consequence. So Jeremiah 34. This is God speaking to the people. Those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. The leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests, and all the people of the land who walked between the pieces of the calf, I will deliver into the hands of the enemies who want to kill them. Their dead bodies will become food for the birds and the wild animals. So this is real. This is in the Bible. This is literally the severity of the situation. Head up to the next one. So we don't have to read that now. We're going to read it in a second. So that's essentially what the consequences of a covenant were. And who would have made covenants? Well, it could be two friends, like in the Bible, David and Jonathan go into a covenant. It could be a king and another nation. So like Syria and um, 
Persia or whatever, they would have gone into a covenant and said, like, we're in this together, let's not kill each other, let's share resources, you know, we'd never fight one another, kind of like Russia and Ukraine. Awkward. Um, that, that, yeah, they should have made a covenant. Zelensky should have made a covenant with Putin, man. Then his people would have been my people. But, um, and an individual could have made a covenant with a whole nation. So there's a couple of different ways of covenants that could have happened over there. Um, but that does sound like a bit of a weird ancient thing. What, is, what has that got to do with, with us today? Let's quickly rewind to my wedding. Can you guys see that in that wedding ceremony that I described, there are remnants, there are leftovers, little glimpses of that practice that we still do today? There's little bits and pieces, specifically of a Jewish or a Christian wedding, like that it has remained. Who can, who can guess what one or two of them are? Yeah, yeah. You walk. You, so you walk. You, it starts with you walking down an aisle. That is that is reminiscent of walking down the aisle of blood. So we're walking down an aisle. There's people on the left, people on the right. There would have been carcasses on the left, carcasses on the right. Obviously, we've sanitized it a little bit. So you walk down this aisle. You have a veil on your face. You get to each other, and then you take right hands. If you've been at a wedding, you would say. Take the right hand of each person, and instead of smearing the blood, we just give rings. We give rings to one another, which is also reminiscent of giving our belts and our clothing. And then we take the names, or at least dudes often don't get away with that, but ladies generally take the actual name of, of the husband. Um, and so Christine is now Christine Fivey. Technically, I should be Christine, I should be Howard Williams if we were, if we were kind of upholding the, the way it used to be done. And then, instead of chopping a cow in half, because that would be a little bit gross at a party, we just cut a cake. So we cut the cake. Have you ever been to a wedding? I mean, I mean, I used to ask this all the time. I'm like, why are you cutting a cake? Like, why is that a thing? You know, it's like, ooh, now is the cutting of the cake. What is that? Like, why is anyone cutting a cake? Like, why don't we cut a, like, why don't we jump on a watermelon? Or what, what's the significance of cutting a cake? Right? It's, it's random, right? It, it is absolutely absurd unless it's viewed in the context of a covenant. And I even Googled it. I was like, why do we cut a cake for this preparation? And a lot of the websites out there that aren't kind of understanding of the Christian Jewish traditions, they say like dwarf things. They're like, we cut the cake as a symbol of like the husband's hand on the knife and the wife's hand on the knife. And they're like, I'm like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Essentially, it comes from cutting covenant. That's where it comes from. You're chopping something in half. But thankfully, it's a bit tastier than eating a raw piece of cow or something like that. We just cut it in. So, what does this have to do with us sitting here? What does covenant got to do with anything? We're going to rewind to 2100 BC. We're going to read a big chunk of scripture now, so hopefully I don't lose shukran. But this is a really weird piece of scripture, guys. And essentially, if we can understand what's happening here, it will change our, our walk with God. It will change everything about how we see Jesus and the cross. Um, but we first need to understand what's actually going on. So I'm going to read it to us. And for, the, for those of us who are really smart, see if you guys can pick up what is actually going on here. Okay. Context, there's a dude named Abraham, Abram at this stage. He's living in like Middle East world and he's just a nomad. He's a gypsy running around. He's just done some adventures rescuing like people from literally from like death. And now he chills. And at this stage, he wasn't a Christian. He was nothing. He was like a little gypsy dude. But God, Yahweh, called him and spoke to him in this moment. Here we go. After this, 
the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Elysia of Damascus? And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And just context is that like offspring back in the day was like a really important thing. It was kind of like an iPhone today. So God's saying, I'm going to give you like iPhones and millions of rands and property and all kinds of stuff. That's what's happening here. And Abraham's just sitting there. He's like, cool, I'm going to get all this stuff. Yeah. Okay, here next slide, bro. It's a bit small. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. So he's going to give him land as well as children. Now, this is cool. Let's pause there. Abraham is a dude of super big faith. We all know Abraham. So what does he say? He says, cool, perfect, and he goes, he walks away. No, he's human, right? So when God makes a promise to a human, we usually say, like, how do I know that you're going to keep your end of the bargain? Verse 8, but Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. In that moment, there's no other context. So Abraham knew what's going on. He's like, oh, sweet. We're doing the covenant thing. I'm going to walk through the blood. Let's get it on. Abraham brought all these to him cut them in two, and arrange the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he didn't cut in half because they're too small. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Okay, this is our last chunk of scripture, so stay with me. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they'll be enslaved and mistreated there. So basically he's giving, he's giving Abraham some bad news now. He's like, this is, this is going to be a bit hectic. He says, verse 14, But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Okay, so basically he's just kind of telling him a bit more about the future. Don't really worry too much about what that promise is. He's just saying you're going to have bad times and then you're going to have good times. Verse 17, this is the last little piece. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants I give this land. And he lists all the lands. So I want to just quickly zoom in to verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Okay, at this stage, what is Abraham doing? What is Abraham doing in the story? He's dosing. He's fast asleep. He's pulling a Jess. Jess is busy sleeping on Rachel. And he's just like, he's fast asleep. All righty. Now, when God appears in the Bible, in the Old Testament, how did the presence of God show itself? What happened with Moses when he was looking at a bush? What was coming out of the bush? 
Alrighty. When the ancient people of Israel were wanting to walk through the desert, what did they see by day and by night? They saw fire and smoke. Fire by night, smoke by day. When, the Mount, when Mount Sinai was, Moses went up onto Mount Sinai and he asked for God's glory to be shown. There was fire and smoke. So <laughs> I did my research. That is the same word over here. It's fire and smoke. When it says a blazing torch appeared with a, with a smoking fire pot. So what's happening? God is walking the Isle of Blood. That's basically God. And so imagine if it just said, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, God appeared and passed between the pieces. That's what's happening. The presence of God, the, the glory of God. He wasn't physical at that stage. He wasn't manifest as Jesus. So he's just showing himself as a fire and, and smoke, walking through the pieces of, of um, dead animal. So what does this have to do with us sitting here on a chair on a Sunday morning in Brooklyn? This story is the foundation of the gospel. This is the gospel. And when we understand this, we understand our position in this covenant with God. Because if you here are a follower of Jesus, guess what? You are part of a covenant, whether or not you know it. So I'm telling you now so that you know that you are part of a covenant. This is what's happening. God's saying to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you nations, and I'm going to give you children, and I'm going to um, give you all kinds of amazing promises, right? He gives him these promises. And then Abraham's like, how do I know you're going to do these promises? And God's like, I'm going to show you how. Go get me these animals, and I'm going to enter into a covenant. But if, if I was Abraham, and I knew myself, and I had a fight with Christine yesterday already, I would know I'm going to let my side of the bargain down. I don't have it in my ability to maintain perfection with God. I mean, what the heck? Like, that's a difficult task to be able to uphold my bargain. So God says, hold on, Abraham, hold my beer. I got this. Hold my glass of wine. I got this. What does he do to Abraham? He puts him to sleep. So who does he cut covenant with? He cuts a covenant with himself. He just walks the blood aisle by himself. What's he saying there? So in the ancient world, if the two parties would normally walk, but if only one party walked, it would be the lower party. It would be the slave. If it was a slave and a king, it would be the slave, and the king would chill there and be like, walk the blood. And then the slave would walk, and then that would be the covenant. This is the other way around. In this illustration, the king is walking the Isle of Blood, and the slave or the servant is fast asleep on a little sofa of animal hide. What's actually going on is God saying this, Abraham, I've chosen you because I'm good, I'm love, you're a random little gypsy, and I've got a plan for you and the whole of humanity. Every single person is going to be blessed through your life, and I'm going to uphold my end of the bargain, and I'm going to uphold your end of the bargain. Even if it costs me and I must become like these pieces of animal. So if I let down my side of the bargain, may I become like these animals, but that's God. God's not going to let it down, right? But if you let down your side of the bargain, may I become like these chopped up animals. Fast forward 2,000 years later. It's a gloomy Thursday evening in downtown Jerusalem. There's a man upstairs 
And he's gathered together a whole bunch of his closest friends. He's very nervous. He's very anxious. He's acting a little bit weird tonight, almost as if the last words that are going to come out of his mouth have to be so important. He's got a whole banquet laid out in front of him. There's men and women there, but he's got 12 besties closest to him. And his name is Jesus. And he's sitting there, and he's desperately trying to tell them something. And he's thinking back to the time that he walked through the, the Isle of Blood. Let's hit that scripture for me, right? I'll just go next one. And one more. There we go. When the hour had come, Jesus reclined at the table with his apostles. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before my suffering. For I tell you that I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Okay. And then he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this is the most important part here, guys. Verse 20. In the same way, after supper... He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So, the next day, it's a Friday. Suddenly, darkness falls over the land. There's a man who gets cut and who gets pierced and who gets torn. And he becomes like these animals. His blood flows down. A veil is torn in half and lifted off in the temple. And he becomes the curse of the covenant. In that moment, God is keeping his promise he made to Abraham. When he said, I will bless you even if you fail. And I will keep up my end of the covenant. I'll bless you even if I die. And that's what he did. You can hit the next one for me, bud. Right over there. Just one more. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So there it is. That's, that's what the whole gospel is about. Like it's super cool if we can think back to the time when Abraham was fast asleep and God was walking this Isle of Blood. So what does it mean for me and you? It means that it's not up to us to maintain God's covenant because God made a covenant with himself. God cut covenant with God. Isn't that crazy? It's not up to how good my behavior is and how well I can muster up my moral law and how I can read my Bible every day and how I can pray every day and how I, 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 I. What is it about? It's about the new dynamic that God has established with us. When he sees you and you are in Christ, he sees Jesus. So he sees his son which is, which is God, has a, God obeyed the whole law. He fulfilled everything. Now we get that blessing. So all those promises that were given to Abraham, in the new covenant, those promises 
They were given to Abraham in a physical sense, like you're going to get physical children, physical land, physical reward. What do we get? We get the reality of that in a spiritual sense. We get Jesus. That's what we get. The new covenant essentially is we get the presence of God daily in and out. And so what, what is our end of the bargain? Essentially, faith. It's faith in Christ. It's just remaining in God and saying, cool, you fulfilled the covenant. You, you cut covenant with yourself. I'm going to hold on to Jesus. And, I mean, you might be thinking, cool, is that all I have to do? Like, do I, you know, do I just kind of sit on my couch for the rest of my life and, and believe in God? Well, would you really believe in God if that's all you wanted to do? Because what's so cool about this is once God changes us from the inside out and makes us part of the new covenant, we are made holy. Then we can go and do holy things. But the big difference is that don't try and do it the other way around. Don't try and do holy things in order to be holy. We are already part of the covenant. We're in the covenant, and now we can go and live out as good people. We've been made good. Now we can go and do good things. And that's essentially the order that it needs to be in our life. Uh, for many years, like I said, I've often missed it, and I've gone become insecure when I start to forget that my position is one of acceptance in God because I'm in the covenant. My position is perfection. I'm perfect because I'm in Jesus. My position is like that. Now my condition can change, not the other way around. It can't be that like, oh, my position is changing. Am I in God? Am I out of God? I don't know. Uh, and then I try and make my condition better. It's like trying to take a shower before you take a shower or something. It like, doesn't make sense. Like come to Christ and then he, you're, you're rooted in him. And then you can go and live like he says. But we can never live the way God says outside of God. That's the new covenant. So for us sitting here today, guys, the, 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 the goal of this message is union with God. And the best way of doing this is by believing what he did on the cross. By believing what he did with Abraham. And we were, where were we when Jesus was dying on the cross? I mean, most of us were sleeping. We were sleeping in, <laughs> in our mother's wombs like vibes. We weren't even there. He already did it. So, yeah, we're going to take communion in a second, actually. And I'm hoping as we drink of this cup and eat of this bread, or it's, it's nachos, didn't get bread, um, that there's going to be a new meaning to it, guys, a new meaning to that little bit of grape juice. It's the fact that as I'm sipping this, it's a reminder of only one thing, of the new covenant, as Jesus said. It's a reminder of the new covenant that it's not up to me, it's up to God. And I was fast asleep, so now I can be awake. Sweet, guys. So let's just close our eyes. We're going to pray for a second. Oh, Jesus, we come before you looking at what you did um, with Abram, even how you gave him a portion of your name as Yahweh. After that covenant, he became Abraham. And... Father, we just, we just want to stand in awe, first of all, and say thank you for the new covenant. Thank you that you have grafted us into this covenant, um, that you fulfilled your promise to Abraham and to us. You have blessed the whole world through that one life. Um, and we're going to take over this cup now, Jesus, and, and of these nachos. Um, as you remember how you finished that promise, God, essentially how you made the last covenant, the final covenant, 
that it was finished. There's nothing more to do after that, but remain in you, Jesus.